Hey, good evening, everyone. Uh, as you can see, we are running a little late this evening because we had some technical difficulties, but that's the joy and adventure of live uh, television, shall we say, live podcasting. Uh, but coming to you live from our studio here in North Minneapolis, we got another blessed day in the neighborhood. I'm really looking forward to tonight's guest. We have Miss Lisa Clemens. And Lisa Clement is just one of those dedicated soldiers who's been on the ground out there fighting for a cause and helping address issues and a lot of uh, issues uh, uh, facing our community. So we're just so happy to have her, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, as usual, I'll lead off with some things that's been in the news here lately. Uh, well, first of all, I went to an early morning breakfast uh, at 6 o'clock in, in St. Paul, so I was up at 4 and so I'm, 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 my clock is ticking down right now. Uh, but I, I want to remind you also to visit my uh, podcast uh, website, LaceyJohnson.com. Now, just a quick thing in the news. Uh, so there, uh, I understand that uh, the Minneapolis public school system, uh, big plan to adjust the achievement gap is school desegregation and to bring some of the uh, rich kids from rich neighborhood over to North High School, and I understand that there's a, a plan to remodel North and make it better, and that's great. Uh, of course, you know, and I don't know all the background. Uh, what? To, why couldn't they just do that without desegregating the school and bringing in rich kids? But I, I guess more important than that, look, uh, if people think the solution to the achievement gap is something as simple as desegregating the school. I think they're going to find they're barking up the wrong tree. And a couple of things I must tell you, and I'll reiterate, uh, I went to mostly uh, all-black school, well, an all-black school, a segregated school until the 10th grade, and we had excellent teachers. We learned a lot, uh, and it had nothing to do with uh, desegregating the schools. In fact, I was very disappointed when they desegregated our school. I'm still upset about it, and I speak about it all the time. But we had quality. It was an all-black quality school, and I tell everybody, uh, out of my graduate, and, and we weren't rich, and out of my graduating class, we got, uh, we have three surgeons, too many engineers and accountants to talk about. Uh, and so I know that it's not as simple as desegregating the school. And I also, am, and one of the reasons I'm out here because we, I'm concerned about these issues that have been going on for decades. And I really believe that a fundamental flaw that we make is that all we look at is race. And we say, white kids, black kids, that's the answer, desegregate. Well, you know, there are more contributing factors to these issues than just race. and we keep selling on that one factor and keep wondering why these issues keep existing in these communities because we're going about it the wrong way. I mean, we need to look at things like socioeconomic status, educational level, family makeup, but we just hop on race and stop there. So I, I, I'm waiting to see what's going on, what's going to happen as a result of this. I'm skeptical. I'm just telling you, and I hope I'm wrong. And once again, when I look at the people that graduated from my high school class, not only did they go on and do a lot of great things, uh, but their children did. We got a doctor. 
the second generation of doctors and lawyers and marine jet fighter pilots. And we're all black and we went to an all black school. So I don't know. Maybe you guys know something that I do not know. Anyway, that's my uh, say so today uh, as far as items in the news. I know they had a big article in the New York Times and I'm still reading through that. Uh, they are referring to studies of the University of California at Berkeley. And I don't trust none of them guys. They think they're smart and know everything. But uh, uh, they're just, there's a difference between uh, classroom knowledge and degrees and just plain common sense and wisdom. So anyway, that's my take on what's going on there. I'm going to watch it closely. And I'll just end it by reiterating once again something I'm constantly harping on. I don't think educators are going to solve the achievement gap. I don't think they know how. I think they just start off with the wrong basic premises. And one of those wrong basic premises is that it's racist, the reason that this is happening. Done with that, uh, let me bring in one of my favorite people. And I mean that, uh, Miss Lisa Clemens. Uh, welcome to Bright Light, Lisa. Uh-oh. What's going on? Well, I'm here. Hold on. We still have a few technical difficulties here. Oh, what happened here? We're trying to... Let's see here. We got to get her. Can you, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. Good. Okay. Okay, so people, we, we've been very inventive in getting to you tonight. As you can see, we got a headshot of Lisa up there and not the normal smiling self. Now, I should let you know I can see her normal smile and stuff, and you will only hear her. Uh, uh, so, welcome, Lisa. How you doing this evening? Hey, Lacey. I'm doing good. Thank you so much. It wasn't technical difficulties that time. I had mute <laughs> Human error. Okay. Well, we're a human error. That's good, too. Well, uh, let's get started here. Lisa, uh, just give us a little background of where you're from and your family you grew up in and anything that happened in your childhood that would lead us to believe that you'd grow up to be a, a law enforcement officer and a, and a community activist. And, a, and I mean this in a most heartwarming way, kind of a rebel rouser to get stuff done. So I, lo I, I love all of that about you. So tell us about your background, where you're from, your family, and how we could have predicted that uh, uh, Lisa Clemens would grow up to be the person she is and involved in the stuff that she's involved in. So if you know my mom, Mary Flowers Pratt, um, you would you would know I would be who I am today. So she raised seven kids. Uh, one of my little brother died before his first birthday. As a single mom in the projects in Chicago, um, she brought us here when I was 15 years of age. But what made me want to be a police officer was an incident in Chicago. My mother went to court to get child support from our father. And he made the decision to go to jail versus pay that child support. So when she got home, she was trying to figure out what she was going to do for us for Christmas because it was right at Christmas. And there was a knock at the door. And we thought the police were coming to get her because the, the voice on the other side of the door was the police, Chicago police. So we thought she did something in court that day that was going to get her in jail. So when she opened the door, there were three Chicago police officers, white males, and they had these two big boxes full of stuff for us for Christmas dinner and also a gift for each one of her kids. 
one of the officers had been in court that morning and heard what happened and that my mom broke down crying and he wanted to just make sure we had a Christmas. Yeah. And that has always stuck with me. Um, I knew I wanted to be a police officer from that moment on because I wanted to have some family feel the joy that me and my family felt that day. Uh, I wanted to be able to give back. So I always knew I was going to be a cop. Um, and when I came to Minneapolis, my brother had been beaten up by the Minneapolis Police Department. So I decided I don't want to be a cop after all. And then I just started talking to Chief Boza. And on two occasions, he asked me to join. And, and I finally decided as a single mother to make my dream come true. And, and that was my dream. So, a couple, by the way, to our audience, you will see me looking at you and looking down, and uh, I, I'll give you an inside story here. Uh, I'm talking to Lisa on FaceTime, and that's where the audio is being generated. And to go even a little deeper, I got a studio, I got an engineer here, and we need to prop, we needed to prop up this iPhone, and he went and got my he went and got my famous Stetson hat. And so, so we're going to take a picture of this and post it. So we got the iPhone propped up on my Stetson hat. And I'm looking at Lisa's face. I'm going back and forth between my audience and Lisa here. So, uh, so Lisa, so you get here. Uh, you want to be a uh, police officer. You find out they've beaten your brother up. And so you're like, maybe I don't want to. So how were you able to get over the fact that they had beaten your brother up and I'm still going to become a policeman? And 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 by the way, uh, I have to ask, uh, did your brother do anything provocative? Because you're, you're, you're an ex-policeman, and so you kind of look at things a little different. So bottom line is what made you decide to, to, in spite of the fact that they beat up your brother and stuff, that you still wanted to be a police officer? Because most of us would not have been able to get over that. I think. So my brother didn't do anything. I, you know, I'm one of those people, if Al did something wrong, I'm going to say he did something wrong. Mm -hmm. So he really didn't. They asked for his ID in our house, and he questioned why he had to give them ID with it when they weren't there for that reason. And that's what led to him getting beat up. But uh, my, my dream and my memory of the great things those officers did for my family um, I, I wanted to make my dream come true, and my family was supportive of that. My brother has always been supportive of my dream, and um, so okay. I just went forward with what uh, what God put on my heart to do. Well, you earlier mentioned the fact that you were a single parent, and I know yeah. that you have at least one daughter that's recently went off to college. I think I saw that somewhere, but tell us about your current family and all the great things that your children are doing nowadays as a result of your steadfastness, steadfastness as a mother. So I was blessed. I gave birth to a son in my first marriage. He is now a Hennepin County Sheriff's deputy. Oh, okay. And I gave birth to two daughters. Uh, one is going through the process of transgender. Uh, so I'm working to learn more about that. Um, uh, uh, she who will be my son mm -hmm. is an investigator uh, for uh, different stores. 
And then my youngest daughter that I gave birth to was uh, Letitia. She went to Howard University University to get her master's degree. She got her bachelor's from Metro, um, I'm sorry, from Mankato State, Minnesota in communications and then political science for her master's at Howard University in D.C. And then I adopted two kids. I was almost an empty nester, almost. Uh And then I, I was a foster mom and I couldn't let these two kids go. They were both uh, addicted children at birth, and so now they're 6 and 11 years of age. Yeah, I really admire you. And I, I like I say, I'm not a, a, a everyday kind of out there on social media, but when I do, and, and, oh, and by, my wife, by the way, my wife follows you also, so that's, yeah. that's kind of good. And we're going to talk a little bit about your social media, media <laughs> presence later on. Uh, so, as uh, how long were you a Minneapolis police officer? For thirteen years. And uh, what area? Well, I'm, you might have served many different areas. What What are the main areas that you worked? Did you work north side, south side, all over? So I started in South Minneapolis in the fifth precinct, uh, and then I went to where my heart was, which is North Minneapolis. Um, I graduated from North Hyde, lived there. That's the first place we landed when we moved here. So that's always been where my heart lies. So I I did that, but I was also, I did, uh, worked with the crack team. I did a lot of undercover work. I worked in sex crimes, child abuse, domestic violence. I headed a police team in the Minneapolis um, housing. They called us the Soul Patrol. Because mm-hmm. we were we were all black with one white cop, yeah, so um, I, I've had an, I had an amazing career, but it, it was not without challenges from um, male officers, especially white male officers, who I think struggled with me being as vocal as a black woman. But I, I can say this: their numbers were few. Those who were not nice to me were few. Those who uh, welcomed me in with open heart, arms and defended me and supported me and, and backed me up. They're, they're, the numbers are greater on that side. And, and that's good to hear. What were, what were the type of things that you were vocal about, if you can remember? Just give me a couple of things that really rubbed some of these folks the wrong way. Um, just if treating people the way we would want our family members to be treated, uh, regardless of what their situation was, circumstances, um, not doing things that would humiliate uh, any human being. I, I didn't care what mm-hmm. race they were, but any human being. Mm-hmm. But being in North Minneapolis, where most of those people look like me, I, I wanted to make sure that I represented my community as well as I did the blue community. So if there was something that they were doing that was unnecessary, I had absolutely no problem in telling them, no, you're making the job harder for the rest of us out here. So, yeah, I wouldn't tolerate that. I didn't tolerate it as an officer nor as a sergeant. So uh, for those uh, officers who were uh, in that category where they're just disrespecting people and things like that and uh, giving you a hard time. Were there any common denominators besides white or where they were from, whether they were in the cities or not? Uh, and I'm trying to determine whether or not things like residential requirements and things that would make a difference. Uh, so did, did you, looking back on your experience, was there any common 
traits or things that you could say with these, and I'll put that in quotation, bad officers? No, I don't think it has anything. A lot of people think if they have to live uh, where they work that that's going to change. I mean, you bring your own value system and your moral compass to the job when you're hired. Right. Uh, you don't learn that on the job. Right. So uh, you come as you are, and, and hopefully you should leave uh, a better person or if you came in good, you should leave good. Right. So it, I don't think having somebody live somewhere yeah. uh, will make them just a, a great cop. Yeah. You I, bring that with you. And, and I tend to agree with that too. And uh, I, I think the idea is you know the people in the community, but I, I think a lot of those things are just pipe dreams as far as solutions yeah. are concerned. Well, as long as we are on that topic, we might as well dive right in on that one. <laughs> Uh, defund the police, police reform. Uh, Lisa, I was telling someone, uh, Rodney King happened 30 years ago. I think it was in 1891. We're still talking about this issue. And uh, why? Well, I'm going to ask you this question. I, got a, I think I got a tough follow-up. Uh, why have we been struggling so long, in your opinion, based on your experience and your knowledge? Because the public, yeah. Anyway, uh, why has it taken so long to solve that issue? And what what is going to take, in your mind, in your opinion? I think for us, when I say us, I mean the African American community. Mm -hmm. We tend to uh, backseat uh, quarterback how things should be done, but we don't join in. And, and I'll give you this example: we always we act like our young black children can't learn unless they have black teachers. But we keep forgetting we're black, and we teach our children. So it, it, I graduated, I have a bachelor's degree, a majority of my teachers were white. Mm -hmm. We tell our kids they, that they can't learn because they're poor or they're hungry. I come from poverty, I was hungry, and I, again, I'll say I have a bachelor's degree and my children have degrees. It, we offer excuse after excuse after excuse, and we don't take any ownership in the roles that we play that uh, decrease our kids' chances of being a success. So when we talk about the police department, everybody has a solution, but none of them are willing to actually wear the uniform so that you can actually see from the inside that the problem is not just the police. The problem is us as well. So when you talk about police reform, and you're not talking about community reform at the same time, you will never see any change. So if I have 90 homicides in my community, what does homicides and shootings bring into your community? Law, Law enforcement. enforcement. Yep. If I have 500 carjackings, and they're carjacking in Bloomington and Edina and Eden Prairie, but they're leading the police on a chase into North Minneapolis, the police weren't there. You brought them there. Right, right. So we don't accept that. A lot of the issues that we have with law enforcement is not all law enforcement. Part of it is us as well. Right. So if we're not trying to reform in our community, 
get the resources that we need to have in our community, reform in the police department is never going to be seen on the level that we would like to see it. Finally, some matters that's making sense on that issue to me. And I think some of the things you hit on is self-responsibility. I think we all need to look to be accountable for what's going on here. And I tell everyone, I've just know, not ever known an issue uh, between two people that, that can be solved by saying, if you just change, this issue is going to go away and not take a look in the mirror. Uh, and, yeah, and, and, you know, I raised two. Uh, sons in North Minneapolis. And you know what I told them? I didn't even get into that. I'm like, son, well, first of all, and this is what we were taught, and I'm glad we were. First, obey the law. Uh, second, don't resist the rest. And third, make sure they see both of your hands at all times. And regardless of who the police, what color they are, what gender they are, I want you to do this. And you know, I, I have to say my younger son, he's a little hot-headed. And there wasn't why we've had to get the police on the cell phone to calm him down, calm, get him on the cell phone with the police to calm down. So those are the type of things that I think that if we would just look at ourselves and, and hold ourselves a responsible and accountable. And I tell people this, I this is what I tell my sons, because I'm not interested in your issues and your causes and stuff. The number one priority for me is my children making home alive. And those are the three things I tell them. So while we're on that issue, can I, can I say this? Right yeah, here? please do. So I, I do tell my kids that those are battles that I fight. I just need you to make it home safely. Right. But I also want to say that the police owe the community an explanation whenever you stop somebody or detain somebody in the community. It does not take anything to stop for that little extra few minutes and say to the community, here's why we're here. We're here. We responded to a call for this. We arrested him for this. Uh, but you should be okay. You should be okay now because we're removing this person from the community now. Right. But cops have to be willing to take that extra time to explain to the community why they did something. You right. owe them that right. Right. because that's part of your job. I, I work with a lot of uh, young people. And uh, and I've been in prisons and jails and talking to people. And then I found out one of the common uh, traits I find is people just automatically react to what's going on and undisciplined and things like that. Where I'm going to, I, most of the young men I, I talk to, I tell them, look, write down five things you'll never do ahead of time. So when you're in that situation, uh, uh, you're not going to do any, anything crazy. And then again, too, and I'm saying that this, as far as I'm concerned, you know, living here, yeah, you do meet police that's just kind of arrogant and they'll block the streets unnecessarily and like they own it. But once again, the other thing I tell them is that before you react uh, in some situation that'll get you in trouble, think, uh, how big a deal is this going to be in my life tomorrow or a month from now or a year from now? And because the last thing you want to do is end up uh, and incarcerated for five years on something that the next day it wouldn't have mattered anyway. So I try to get them to think about that ahead of time. Uh, we're going to spend another one more question I have on the whole police issue, uh, Lisa. And I'm just being honest. I don't understand what the goal is. 
Will somebody give, give me a clearly defined goal of police reform? Uh, and I'm saying it from this standpoint, is it that nobody ever uh, is accidentally shot or killed? Is it on, that no black folks are accidentally shot or, kill, shot or killed? So I don't know exactly what is the goal that we're shooting for there. Uh, and given the fact that we have, last I heard, uh, over 700,000 uh, law enforcement officers carrying guns, and we and you and I know that we got some very uh, dangerous people out there, and I'm assuming that you, the other officers are like you were. You want to make it home safely at the end of the day. So, long way of asking, if I was to ask you, because not, not too many people even answer this question, what is the goal of police reform? Tell, oh, uh, keep in mind. I'm a kind of techie guy, and I like to hear numbers as far as gold. This is where we are now. This is where we're trying to get to. Because I think otherwise, we it seems like we're just spinning our wheels and the emotions and things like that. So, long question. Probably could have made it a lot more concise. But answer that for me, Lisa. No, my, my answer will be short. Okay. There is no goal. There is no plan. If there's ever a chief hire that says to you, we will never have another police-involved shooting. You should make sure that you pass over him yep. because he would, he or she right. would not be telling the truth. Right. Right. You cannot have all the guns out here, all the gunfire, all the violence out here, and believe that the police won't arrive too soon one day mm -hmm. and be engaged in that violence. Mm -hmm. There, it, it is the equivalent of saying. I'm a progressive, but unable to explain what a progressive really is. Mm -hmm. So there is no real plan that you can make, but you can uh, work towards a more professional police department. Yes. Part of the problem becomes you do get cops who came on a department under what my belief system was, mm -hmm. uh, what I wanted to do when I joined the police department. But when you get in the department, you ride with six different cops, all with different personalities and all with differing opinions of the community's treatment of them, the police department's treatment of them, how they feel about their supervisors or how they feel about elected officials. Right. You have to be a strong officer to be able to take the good in what they taught you and use that to be a good cop. Oftentimes, you get jaded by the things you hear, the anger a cop might have. I hate the supervisor. You end up starting to absorb that. I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. I was very intentional on taking the things they taught me and being a good cop. And that is how I led in my life and in my career. Okay. It's, it's a, but there's no such thing right. as goals and plans. Right. Anybody who says there's goals and plans, they're just being dishonest. Yes. And how do you make a goal and a yes. plan and you don't have any police officers at, you, at your table right. to even talk to you about what they see or a goal and a plan if you've never been on a ride along to actually see what police officers go through right. in any given right. day. Right, right. And, and you know, you're you're a former uh, black police officer, but I know one's on the forces uh, right now. Some I started out in engineering with and transferred over. Some 
fraternity brothers and just friends. And when I talk to them, you get a totally different perspective than what you're hearing about in the media as far as your challenges and the personalities. And I mean, even uh, the union chief and stuff, I got some different feedback because uh, he was just painted as this bad guy. When I actually talked to the people on the force, I got different feedback. So let's let's go back to something else you talked about as far as when you were an officer. Sound like you worked in some very tough areas as far as crime and undercover uh what can you what are some of the most uh memorable situations you saw that just like just and we're gonna get to some positive stuff too that's like just turn just you like this is incredible and because you guys see a lot of things that we don't see and can you remember anything that just really just 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 set you off and made you Question humanity. humanity. Right, our humanity. Yep, yep, yep. The, the, the way we treat each other and then have the audacity to be mad the way, uh, at the way somebody else treat us. Yeah. I mean, to watch it and see it so much, I think the hardest part is people don't understand that cops are human and that we have emotions and feelings and that you go from call to call to call to call. Whenever people talk about, we need more mental health workers, we need, and I always think in my mind, if if, if the police answered 5,000 mm-hmm. mental health calls in a year and three went bad, we don't really care about the other 4,997 right. that they didn't go bad. So I think that police officers are never going to win. That we are in that era where enough mistakes have been made against the people, right. especially black people, right. that police will, for years to come, never be uh, liked. Right, right. And well, that's unfortunate because our we teach our kids to hate the police. White people don't teach their kids they hate the police. No, no. So your police department will look exactly like it looks because we only feed the negative to our children. We don't say if you want change, you have to be part of that change. Holding a protest sign, Lacey, that is not the route to change. Oh, I, I agree. And it's interesting that you should say that. And I mentioned uh, the people I know, the black officer I know on the police force, when the issue comes, that's the first thing they tell how we disrespect each other and don't like each other, how we talk to each other. And, and he's saying, hey, these, these cops are looking at this. And so we really need to, uh, uh, and I always say to people, and this is just me, the first thing I do is take a look in the mirror. And I think uh, that's a good thing for all of us. Now, uh, tell me some uh, thing you did as an officer that really you feel good about, or just was just a wonderful experience as an officer. Just like the, the officers brought you and your mom the Christmas presents. Tell me, uh, give me an, uh, an example of something like that that you witnessed as an officer that just stayed on your mind and you never forgot. I think about an elderly woman who over off LaSalle. She was going to the store, and when I say elderly, I'm talking like 75, Mm -hmm. walking to the store. She got robbed, knocked down to the ground, Mm -hmm. and they took her money. And I think about me and my partner going to the store and 
just getting groceries for her. I mean, we cops do more of that than people would ever believe. We grocery shop for people. We go get food and drop it off to kids. And I mean, you're just there to console and hold a, a woman or a mother who is in pain because she just lost her child or a, a sudden infant death. And you watch firefighters standing in a room crying. I just don't think people really understand right. what comes with that job of being able to do extra. You know, when they were talking about uh, defunding the police and, and having cops just answer 911 calls, and I thought in my mind, I don't think I would ever want that job. If all I'm going to ever see is you at your worst every day of my career, I would not want that job. Right, right. So, speaking of wanting that job, uh, I think I read somewhere where at one time the chief wanted a total of 1,200 officers. And last I saw, we were down below 500. But long story short, Lisa, what are we going to do to rebuild uh, the morale and the force and get the number of people that we need? Because you we know, and we'll talk about that a little bit. I mean, it's, it's like lawless territory out here sometimes as far as people obeying the law and traffic laws. I mean, it's just crazy out here. So uh, so exactly uh, uh, what do we need to do to get the force back up to where it wants to be and attract it, uh, make it an attractive profession as it was when you decided to do it? So, you know, when people say it's 500 officers, they need to be have an understanding that that can mean 300 right. are in patrol right. and 200 are in investigations and other units. So you really don't have 500 cops out right, here. Right, right, right. There's times that they operate a shift with five to seven officers. And if you get a shooting or a homicide, Lacey, that wipes out your whole manpower. And now you're drawing people from other precincts making them uh, low in numbers. I think the, that you have to have a city council that says we understand the pain, we understand the trauma. However, mm -hmm. we have to make sure that the city mm -hmm. is safe. Mm -hmm. And the numbers that we have right now, not just the city, but the officers who are exhausted out here uh, that have not quit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we need to make sure that we have adequate police officers to respond to the needs of the people. You shouldn't have to call 311 for a burglary at your house right, right. and wait for 21 days for somebody to be able to get back to you. Right. They're understaffed as well. So I think that you have to have some city council people, for lack of a better word, with some balls mm -hmm. that'll say, we are going to have the manpower that we need in this city. And we're going to also have mental health workers and all the other things that we need in the city to create partnerships that keep people safe. Yeah. And speaking of understanding the pain and suffering and frustration, I think uh, one of the rationale for our mayor and letting them destroy the, what is it, third precinct, police uh, station was he felt sorry for them and their feelings. And I, I'm like you. We, we got to have law and order. Uh, when you heard that the uh, third precinct police station uh, 
had been destroyed. As a former uh, Minneapolis police officer, what went through your mind, uh, Lisa? I said this on Facebook. I, I probably would have gone back to the precinct and threw my badge in the fire. Right. People have to understand right. for cops that precinct is actually your home. Right. That you spend more time in the precinct than where you pay a mortgage. So, so of course, uh, you know, people think, oh, they need to get over it. It's really not that. That's right. where your pictures were sitting on your desk. That's where you had your uniform and your clothes and everything in your locker. That's where you made your phone calls. And I mean, it's it's home to you. Right. So I think um, I think the chief. A lot of people would disagree with me, but I did understand why he said um, uh, bodies over uh, property. Right. I did understand that. Um, but you have to communicate that to your officers. Right, right. Well, uh, I'm not going to let you just get away, skip over this body over property thing. Uh, Lisa, I want yes. both. I want I want to say the bodies, and I want to say I don't want the police station destroyed. And yes. I think, go ahead. But let me just, I think once you let people destroy the police station, that that just emboldens them, and I think that was uh, and, and I'm willing to listen to someone to change my mind. I think that was the beginning of everything. Your mind shouldn't have to be changed. We were at a time where um, uh, the the city council was engaged in the things that were happening out there, uh, not recognizing that they don't just work for the people in the community or they're not representing just the people, they represent the community and the police department. Right. And this city council was engaging in, in some of that instead of being buffers in between that. Okay. And, and, and I think that the mayor and the chief felt alone at that time. Now, people could disagree with me, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I'm usually always right, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> no, but I do think that uh, you had council members on Facebook or out there shouting at the police. And, and I even heard one say, if you give me a quick second, saying the police started it. And I'm like, did did. We watch this live or not. Right. No, this was a, we came to engage. People were in pain. People were angry. And and as was I. I just don't believe in the destruction. I don't either. In your anger. I don't believe in that. I agree with that 100%. We're in 100% agreement with that. And I believe in law and order. And once again, I tell people, I normally start with a principle and I normally personalize it. And, I, and the way I explained it to someone, and this is with my kids, I don't care what happened to you out in the streets. I don't care how upset you are. I don't care how unfair it is. You better not come in here breaking up with destroying property or anybody else's exactly. property. And we just lost a certain disrespect for other people's property. I mean, just, in fact, you're probably aware, and one of the craziest things I heard uh, during this whole period is that looting is reparation. I mean, just that whole mentality, I mean, and, and people find nothing wrong with it. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of quick things, and we're going to get into a mother's love and all the great work you've been doing there. What do you think of Black Lives Matter? 
Oh, oh, we done lost. Hold on, let me let me unmute you. Hold on, stop. Uh, we, we, folks, we got uh, situations here. Let me let me see. Can I unmute Miss Lisa here? Because I love. The, I just see the. Uh, the can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Repeat okay, that. Once again, that was my fault. Okay. Uh, looting is thievery. Let's make sure we call that what it is. Setting fires, you're an arsonist. I don't care what your emotion level is. That is violent crimes. Mm -hmm. People were shot and killed while you were doing that. You burned out essential workers who took care of us through COVID. You burned out pharmacies where my mother and other elders could not get their medicine, could not get food. And there's a lot of people who do not have cars. Mm -hmm. And you didn't come to make sure that those people ate right. and got their medicine. So I'm not accepting any of that as excuses for burning out a city. And we can stop saying it was all outsiders who did it. That's not true. Right, right. I operate on truth. Right. Now, what was your question again? <laughs> okay. What do you think of Black Lives Matter, Lisa? <laughs> I think Black Lives Matter is what they are. They are a group that cares about police. So they, the reason they can't say all Black Lives Matter is because they don't care about all Black lives. I agree. Yeah. So they only care about those lives that were taken by police. I'm okay with that. But don't give the image or the impression that you care about all these murders out in our community that uh, far exceed any life the police could take. Right. Now, I'm not uh, belittling what they stand for, mm -hmm. but I, I can't afford to just be one-sided. I can't afford to do that. Okay, excellent. Let's talk a little bit about all the positive work that you're doing. I know... I, I well, I know you get a lot of calls. I know you're involved uh, in a lot of families under stress and strain, and victims of violence and killings and things like that. Uh, first of all, uh, when did you decide that you were going to start up an organization called uh, A Mother's Love? So I, I thought about this when I was a cop. I didn't think, I didn't have a plan in my head, but I knew that I wanted to do something when I left the department to keep young people out of the back of the squad car. Right. But I always thought about when I went on calls, especially domestic calls, mm -hmm. child neglect, child mm -hmm. abuse. The first thing I always looked for in a house was where is the kids area in this house? What's in here for children? And a lot of times I often saw what was in there for the boyfriend, like a big TV with a whole bunch of games. Uh, but I wanted to know what was in that house for kids. And a lot of times I didn't find it. So when I left, I started uh, working, uh, opened a picture with my brother and then with my sisters, but my mom had already been a child care owner. From there, we hired mothers to come in and be part of their kids' educational process. I figured if the county was going to pay for the kids, I was going to put some of the county's mother money to hire the mothers. And then from there, I just wrote this program. It was in my head, Lacey. This is God's honest truth. And it would not go away until I put it all down on paper. So I wrote this program about 
mother's helping mothers and also a tutor house aspect in that. Mm-hmm. And then I just handpicked the women that I wanted to be part of it. One of the women that lost her son to black on black violence in the community. They hate when you call it that, but that is what it, it is. is. What it is. You're right. And then uh, one of uh, our women's son, uh, mother's son is in prison for taking a black life. One of our mothers, uh, her granddaughter's father was killed by the Minneapolis police. I myself as a police officer was involved in a fatal shooting. So I, I wanted women who come from poverty, from the projects, who graduated, who didn't graduate, just everything mm-hmm. that we experience as, as black women, black mothers, and in our community. I wanted us to be able to meet people where they are, and that's uh, our mother's love. Before we delve in that some more, uh, I heard you say you were involved in a fatal shooting. I and- I know. I don't miss that. I, I wondered about that earlier. Were you the shooter? I was the shooter, yes. And I'm assuming you found yourself in a situation of a very dangerous person? Yes. Yeah. And uh, I know you had training, but that still, I would think, tend to have an impact on you. What type of impact did that have on you? I can tell you this, Lacey. Over 30 years later, I still struggle with it. I still dream about it. For so long, if uh, someone walked across my squad, I would swear it was him. Um, But I have something that happened to me this year and eventually I'm going to tell the whole story mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I found some redemption in it this year mm-hmm. uh, but but I, I I don't question whether what I did was right because I, I know it was right. but it does not mean it's it still hurts me yeah. that I hurt somebody yeah. it still harms my spirit that I took a life from some family. So for people who think that you just get into a police involved shooting and and you're okay with it, or you join the police department to kill somebody, trust me, your life, your mental status, your family, everything is impacted by that shooting or that life you take. Right, right, right. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And I heard you, you say you had some type of redemption this year. And yes. do you mind sharing a little bit of that, of that redemption? It's okay if you don't. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this, Lacey. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking for the avenue to share that okay, with good. people. Uh-huh. I really am. Okay. Uh, you might be that avenue. Yeah. Um, uh, when yeah. you get ready to share it, call me up and I'm going to have you back on if if, yeah. if, if, if I'm worthy. It, it is a, it's, it's an amazing story. And if I talk about it too long, you know, I get too emotional about it. I still uh-huh. cry about it. Right, right. They give you three days off, Lacey. And, and I can tell you that's not enough time. Right, right. They can give you a year off, and I promise you, it's not enough time. Yeah. It, it really, it does something to yeah. you. What, uh, boy, that's a good subject you brought up. Just, people just don't seem to value 
life. Like, right. Yeah, I mean, but you know, this is my guest hour, but I think we could do a lot better as a country if some president or some leader or somebody, maybe me, just make reducing the number of homicide an issue. Because I don't think, well, there are those people who think who don't think about it, and then there's those people who are our music, especially in our community, the culture encourages it and make you know, so it's like we don't care sometimes. I know we do, but I wish somebody would make that a priority in our country. And I think we'll see transformation and spillover in a lot of other issues that we're dealing with here. And we just get people to focus on what it means to take someone else's life and what how serious that is. And we just so cavalier and nonchalant. Uh, I just heard the rapper down in, well, in the whole hip-hop rap world, it's just crazy anyway. And we'll, I'll have you back on when you're ready to tell your redemption story. And then uh, we'll talk about the impact that our music and all that other programming is having on us in our community. Okay, so uh, if you had to describe to someone, and, and I'm, I'm struggling with my audience where to look at because I, I want to look at my guests and I need to look up here. Uh, if you had to describe to your audience uh, what it what is it specifically uh, that a mother's love do, give me a, a quick elevator speech. We've gone from the first floor to the fifth floor. Explain to me what a mother mother's love do. We do just that, a mother's love. We respond mm -hmm. to scenes, the most uh, horrific scenes of uh, violence with guns, um, homicides, shootings, uh, hostage situations, carjackings where they're chasing the suspects because we try to be that buffer in between mm -hmm. to make sure the cops go home and, and the people they are chasing or dealing with goes home. But we also realize that it can't stop there. So we follow those families and we offer them other resources, other opportunities in an attempt to change the narrative. Right, right now you're in a city, especially Minneapolis, that does not care about all these homicides and all these shootings that are happening in the community and predominantly in the black community. It has never been a priority. No one ever makes uh, uh, mayors and city council people debate on what they're going to do about the violence in the community, but they make them debate on what they're going to do about the police. Right. So the priority is not black lives. Uh, all black lives is yeah. black lives. Right. So, and that to, that's the police. We don't care. And I don't care what anybody say. We don't care because it's never been made a priority. So given that, and, and, and I kind of know, uh, how do we get so far down the road of defunding the police? I, I mean, the fact that it even got on the ballot is scary to me. And then the fact that it only lost by 12%. What's going on with these people in Minneapolis where they are back and, and I'm just upfront about it, such a crazy idea. And they've convinced people and they somehow they got it on the ballot and only only rejected by twelve percent. That's to me it should have never got on the ballot, but somehow they finagle it. What's going on, Lisa, that we are able to get something such a bad idea? So I I don't know that I think 
think it's a bad idea. I think the way they're constructing it is a bad way because you need a fully funded police department. But you do need mental health workers and social workers and boots on the ground and nonprofits and profits, the uh, for-profits. The issue, and you definitely need black clergy. Mm-hmm. The issue is having a leader who understands that you need that and also for a community to understand that they pay state, federal, city, and county taxes. Everybody got to kick in. Mm-hmm. We're asking for a city to put the burden on taxpayers mm-hmm. to solve all the ills of Minneapolis. Right. And that's not a reality. So now you're getting something on the ballot. You're telling people to reimagine, but you didn't come with a plan for them to reimagine anything. Right. So I think that the issue is people believing that something new is going to make the difference. No, you have everything you need and every body of government to make a difference. You just haven't made them put up or shut up. Right. And you haven't tapped into all that you have in your city and in your state. So, yeah, so we're clear. Uh, I was talking about specifically defunding the police is a bad idea. But it's the ridiculous. other, yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. So adding these other services that they are talking about, one thing, I think it's great. But to me, their motivation was revealed when... They wanted to take all the money from the police to do this. You would exactly. think you would think that, hey, we need these other services. I find the money to do it. So in a way, to me, they were fooling the public about their real intentions because if we really was that was the issue, we need this. Where are we gonna get the money? And they wouldn't even brought up defunding the police. And so that's one of the issues that that I had a serious issue that that I had with that. So I'm glad we got that clarification. behind it. I don't think they're going to ever give up. Uh, I think, yeah, I think we always have to be vigilant. So tell me this, uh, when you look at the work that a mother love has done, give me a couple of things that you're really proud of. I know, you know, when you're dealing with families who loved ones have been murdered and things like that, it can get tough situation, but give me some something that happened there that you really look back on and say, yeah, I really feel good about it, in spite of some of the things that's the environment that you're working in. I think I feel proud when families call us back and ask how they can become members of a mother's loves team, mm-hmm. ask us how they can get 
back into school and can you help me? Um, I dropped out in ninth grade and I don't know if I could pass a GED. Can you help me with that? Or when they come and say, I I'm struggling with being a good parent. I don't know what that looks like because I didn't have a good parent. So they ask you to help them uh, make sure that their kids have a, a, a better life. So when, when they come back, Lacey, and they and it's often mm -hmm. my, my my team always say when do we close the case on a family i said we don't because families will always need mm -hmm. what i don't like is families who um shop around for the same resources from a lot of different organizations because then you're taken away right. from another family in need and you haven't changed your narrative yet right so when families come back and 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 thank you and i don't know it's just it's just a good feeling right right so uh i should let my audience know and i mean this once again a term of endearment that you can be rather feisty yeah. would, you, <laughs> would you agree with that and uh yeah. You, you, you got some ongoing issues out on social media uh, and you tend to state your position rather clearly, but you get a, when you look at the type of negative comments sometimes you get and you have to clarify and you're very good at that. Uh, who are these people you suspect that us doing this? I don't, because I don't know most of all. I know they're saying something to you that you disagree with, and there seems to be a pattern here. But if you had to describe your, and, and once again, I'm gonna put it in quotation, your social media nemesis. How would you describe them? Uh, people who don't want to hear the truth, yeah. or, or believe they know the truth, and and when you uh, call them out on it, uh, they can't handle that. People who believe that if you want peace and harmony and you want to build bridges and partnerships, that you're a, 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 a op and a sellout yeah. and a coon, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. not coming from white people. Right. That's coming from people who look like me. Yeah. So I'm always going to clap back right, right, and right. let them know when they hear me clap back, it's with thunder. Right. Because right. I will not be a crab in a barrel. Right. I will not let you tell me something that I don't research to find out if what you're telling me is true or not. Right, right. And I will not let you control my life or my movements. It's not going to happen. I, I love it, by the way. So keep up the good work. Uh, and we're going to have you back on. Uh, but uh, we're running out of time here. And I always like to uh, give our guests an opportunity to bring up any issue that okay. I I wasn't wise enough because you you can understand I get called names and dumb and everything else too yeah. that with all the names that I've been called and, and they don't know it doesn't bother me like it doesn't bother you because right. uh, we know what we're doing why we're doing it and I think we know that uh, we research things and and we know where our hearts are and we, we feel pretty good about that but uh, leave us with uh, tell us about something that uh, you want to share with our audience that I wasn't uh, wise enough to ask you about, Lisa. Is there anything out there like that? I just really want people to think for themselves, Lisa. 
Yeah. I do. I want people to not be so desperate for change that they're not listening uh, and understanding that you have not heard a plan for change. Right. And I want people to really understand that everything we need, when we had Murderapolis, we worked together to change that. Right. Now we're at that point again, and we're so divided as a people, as a community, and as an elected body that we can't even come together to decide right. how to save lives right. in our community. Yeah. I, I want people to understand that, yes, we need police reform, but more than anything in the world, we need community reform. Right. To save the lives that we are losing every day, or putting bullets in every day in our community. Yeah, and uh, I, I appreciate that. And you know, I'm on record of uh, that. Uh, I don't think most of these issues that we're trying to solve uh, are going to stop unless we get to the root cause. I think uh, uh, economics. Uh, putting money in people's pocket, having good jobs, having corporations and things actually uh, located uh, in these communities and people working there. So jo jobs and money in the pocket. I think education. Uh, there's no yeah. There's there's no excuse for uh, them making excuses for not educating these kids. Uh, I'm a big believer in family, man. That, that's that's the yes. foundation. Yes. Uh, and this is based on my experience. And then I'm a big believer in just faith and, and some type of moral compass that you have to have. And I tell people I got that from because they made me go to church and read the Ten Commandments and stuff. And I don't understand how you uh, navigate life and stay positive and stay hopeful, which I am in all the stuff that's going on uh, without that faith. And I'm a Southern Baptist to fall back on. and what people don't understand is that it's not all about uh, life, heaven, and life after death and things like that. It's about just a moral compass for you. So uh, that's my thing. Are you still there, Lisa? Can I hear you? You have muted me again, have you? Okay. Okay. All right, so that's great. Huh, Seth? Yeah. I really want us to stop also saying that it's all about poverty. It's generational trauma yes. that feeds a lot of this. It's a lot of... Um, uh, payback out yep, here in the yep, community. Yep, yep. Uh, somebody's been in, in prison five years, but the debt they owe to the community for the violence they committed is not ended. Right. I, you talked about education. I, I, our kids today, I, it's not that they're not intelligent. They are gifted and talented, and we don't tap into gifts and talents. Mm -hmm. We don't encourage them to dream again like I did to be a cop. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about um, the schools in North Minneapolis versus South, a lot of that is the investment. They invest more in South Minneapolis. Um, and, and in North Minneapolis, you're asking people to send their kids over into a war zone. Come on now. Right, right, right. And I, I'm going to leave it on this, our common ground, and we're going to pick it up on this. I'm just a believer. And by the way, as you indicated, we both are born black, born poor, yes. and we've never used that as an excuse. That's right. To, to, for anything, to break the law, not do right. To, you know, we just, we weren't allowed to use it as an excuse. And that's why I'm impatient, kind of like you with people who focus on those things. Yes. You are not going to convince me that the reason most of these issues occur in our community is because we're black and poor. 
Right. And and you're going to bring me a solution based on that. And that's why I run into a lot of issues with a lot of these folks. And that's why I'm out here, too, doing what I'm doing, because I know what's going to come my way. But somebody got to do it and have the courage to do it. And I'm glad that you're one of those people. And I, and also, I should recognize, because uh, you mentioned boots on the ground. We need boots on the ground. We got a lot of people sitting down at City Hall and in other places that really don't understand the people and, and what they're doing and the culture and things like that. And because they're not on the ground out here, I know that uh, politically, with this violence that's been going on, that a lot of time our leaders don't want to deal with the people who actually know what's going on. Uh, a lot of it is uh, giving the impression that you care, giving the impression that you're trying to do some things. And to be honest, and this is going to be a deep question because you you try to keep it 100, I'll keep it 100. Yeah. We got some leadership issues too. Because if our leaders were going about this the right way, because uh, some, well, you, you know what I mean there, and we'll pick that up later. So, Lisa, thank you for being on. Uh, I think somewhere at home, my wife is probably watching this. So, say hi to Betty, or because she likes to say she followed. And uh, uh, by the way, uh, uh, your daughter, what, when did she, one of them went to, did, did I read, was it George? Town or what college did I read? Howard. How? Oh yeah, I know it was yeah. in Washington D.C. What year is she in school? No, she graduated with her her master's degree. Oh wow! Yeah, she oh. got her master's um uh, this year. She got her master's this year. Uh, so she's working on some campaigns. Um, I'm gonna tell you who. Okay. <laughs> she's okay. I working on some campaigns. Right, right. Doing amazing work. But you know, last thing I'll say is education. Education. Yeah. Education. It is the key out. Education. Right. Uh, they always get on me. I I always have one last question or one last thing, kind of like a lumbo. Uh, do you know uh, Commissioner Harrison? He's from Chicago. You know him at all? I know him. Okay. I don't know okay. him from Chicago. I know okay. him from here. Okay. Okay. But yep, I know him. And, and say hello to your brother. Why, why you asking? Because I was at a breakfast. The reason I was at at four o'clock this morning, I was at a breakfast where he was speaking at this morning at six o'clock, and so I got a chance to meet him and talk to him, and we had a great he, time. He, you gotta really know he really is a good. Oh yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah. Good man. And I got that. And I, all I know, he majored, uh, he, he graduated from some Ivy League college. He's from South Side of Chicago and the challenges that he had there. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I know all of that. And, 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 and look, and he minored in Chinese. So he already, already got my, yeah, that's what I used to say. And so he already got my attention as someone who struggled to learn French for five years and still can't speak it at all. So he got my attention on that. So I really, uh, as always, just love talking to you, love seeing you. Uh, once I get some of these businesses into North Minneapolis, these jobs, uh, yes. I'll spend more time out on the street, uh, every level, uh, talking to everyone. Say hello to your brother Al for me and all the oh, other man. people, Boots on the Ground. We know Reverend McAfee and all. Uh, yes. You probably know Sharif and, and Trey and, and Shabir and uh, Thomas and all those guys. Uh, we re we really appreciate what you're doing out there, and uh, I'll end it with this: We need some sane voice against some of the craziness that they're uh, selling to our community. And I'm glad to hear you and Reverend McAfee and those type of people out there. So thank you, Lisa. Uh, thank look, we we did a first 
this is the first time we came on the air after seven o'clock at seven fifteen. But I love it the fact that it was the first. And then oh, the other thing I'm going to say when I have you back on, uh, on again, I'm not going to tell you what I'm, we're going to talk about, and we're just going to sit down and chat. And I don't know what I'm going to say, but uh, we got a lot of good things to talk about. So good luck with the mother's love. And, and, and a phrase, I don't know why I use this phrase with you, but stay on the wall. And uh, thank you. And have a great evening. And uh, say hi to your daughters and your family. I will tell your wife I said hi. We'll do that. Okay. Thanks, okay. Lisa. Okay. Thank bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. Uh we had to uh, uh, work around some technical difficulties here. I really appreciate you staying with us. Uh, once again, we're tenacious here, too. We weren't going to let these technical difficulties prevent us from achieving our goals, uh, bringing your bright lights this week. So go out on the, uh, our website, uh, LaceyJohnson.com. See how you can support us, subscribe. Uh, there's souvenirs, bright light souvenirs and things out there. And... Uh, as always, uh, keep giving us feedback. I had some feedback uh, from someone about in, in the area of education today. Uh, we're going to look into what he had to say and uh, perhaps bring him on. Uh, I like to be challenged on my ideas. I don't mind being wrong because, as I said before, when I'm wrong, I learn something. And uh, I've always been about just learning something new every day and all day. So uh, to my audience out there, thank you for joining us again. Uh, we're lining up some great guests for you in the future. Uh, this is Lacey Johnson signing off for Bright Lights. Uh, see you again next week. Thanks. <laughs>